welcome to the Think Orange podcast, where we want to encourage and equip leaders like you who are investing in the faith and future of the next generation. This summer, we are so excited to share with you a special podcast takeover from some of our good friends. If you've ever listened to the Rethinking Youth Ministry podcast, you know it's a great resource. And we are celebrating the return of the RYM podcast by sharing some of our favorite episodes right here. Now, maybe you don't work directly with teenagers, or maybe you lead kids or staff members or volunteers. Maybe you're a parent, and if that's you, I want you to stick around because the conversations in these episodes will be helpful to all leaders, no matter the age. And if you like what you hear, head on over to Rethinking Youth Ministries podcast and subscribe to that one too. But for now, enjoy this fan favorite episode from Rethinking Youth Ministry. Welcome to Rethinking Youth Ministry, a podcast from the Orange Students team. Our mission is to help you, the youth leader, influence the next generation. And we do that through this podcast, other resources, and our weekly curriculum, XP3. If you'd like to learn more, check out orangestudents.com. But for now, let's get started with this week's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of Season 3 on the Rethinking Youth Ministry Podcast. I'm Sarah, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Crystal Chang. Hey there. And Reggie Joyner. How you doing? And we just thought this would be a great way to kick off Season 3 of the Rethinking Youth Ministry Podcast by discussing what we're rethinking when it comes to youth ministry. And we thought, who better to ask this question to than Crystal, who is a regular on our show and our Executive Director of Student Strategies, and Reggie, who is the founder and CEO of Orange. So welcome, guys. It's good to be here. Thanks. I'm rethinking actually a lot of things, including how I cover my Mac after looking at Crystal's pink. (laughs) That's just, I've never seen anything quite like that. I'm not even sure that. It's a glittered pink computer case. I have the most obnoxious laptop cover. It's pink glitter. And I just happened to see one of the guys in our IT department (laughs) carrying it around. And I don't know why he had it, but I said, I love that. And the next and now day, you're the proud it was on my desk, and so he was so nice to me. I'm pretty sure we could get you one of those. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I would probably Ar- An be, orange one, maybe, I, I, instead? I, I, no, I think I'd lose credibility. <laughs> what are you saying? I'm just saying <laughs> I'm saying what works for you doesn't work for me, is what I'm saying. <laughs> well... Guys, we just wanted to get started and just learn from you guys. You guys both have a lot of years under your belt in student ministry. When you say a lot of years, what do you mean by that? I just that? mean you are wise. I have less than Reggie. I just seasoned. like to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to talk specific numbers, mm-hmm. but we're saying we have a lot to learn wow. from you. Yeah. Okay. Right. So okay. we are sitting at your feet. Way to dig out of that one. <laughs> okay. So, Crystal, you've served as a volunteer in almost every position in student ministry in some form or fashion. A small group leader, a volunteer student pastor, not really paid. And, Reggie, you've kind of done everything, paid, volunteer, all of it. So what what are some of the things that you guys have noticed in your time and experience in serving as youth pastors and in student ministry? Well, I actually made a list uh, about a year ago. I would love for you guys to respond to the list and just tell me what you think. Obviously, there's the overarching thing that most of us still believe in that programmatically and from a personality-led student ministry, we've got to get more relational. Um, We don't want to build student ministry around programs or around a personality. We want it to be built around relationships. But beyond that, I just made a random list when I was with some student pastors a while back when they Mm -hmm. asked me this question. And I think it's kind of been showing up in our DNA because I've heard this from some of you and some other people. And there's no order to this. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first one I wrote down was um, rearrange youth ministry to transition beyond 12th grade. Um, I feel like years ago we wrote a book. uh, We talked about how we have artificial lines at 12th grade Mm -hmm. that the average high school student when they graduate um, are dropped Mm -hmm. from the church. Uh, And that somewhere in the context of this, we just have this need to go... What does it look like to go ahead and protect our investment for the next year or two? Mm-hmm. And, and that, I wonder if it goes beyond the next year or two. Yeah. I just feel like there really is, there may be a fade and a handoff to somebody else beyond I would pro- high probably draw the line at 58 or 60. Right <laughs> you feel good now. I, feel pretty, of- I don't feel like I need to be in youth ministry <laughs> to be led. But anyway, keep going. Right. Go yeah. ahead. I mean, there is a line. Yeah. I just know I was texting a former student last night who's 28 years old. 
Yeah. Right. And that that relationship just extends beyond the time they're on my roster. And yeah. I don't I don't disagree with that because I think the seeds that you planted you're going to continue in that relationship. But as it relates to us being formally intentional about mm-hmm. what we're doing with energy and effort, there is something that happens at 12th grade when they graduate or when they step into what is next that almost seems like we're saying, we're done with you, now go figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's too big of a step. Well, Crystal, I know you have a lot of personal experience with this, right? I mean, you've got a passion for mm-hmm. students graduating and going into college, and it prompted you to actually write a book for 12th graders or graduating seniors going into college freshmen to how to kind of handle that transition. So what have you seen? Like, what did you experience as a small group leader that really prompted you to dig deeper into that? Idea? Well, I feel like I tell this story all the time of when my first small group graduated yeah. and we sat around in our last small group conversation and it became clear to me during the course of that conversation that I knew what was happening next, but they had no right. idea right. what this meant for our relationship, where they were going to meet next year, whether or not we were going to meet next year. And, it, and I realized that we had done a terrible job of preparing them for what the next stage looked like. And so mm-hmm. over the years, as I've led different small groups, I've always felt this kind of pang of guilt when they graduate, because I know that college ministry is great. And if they get there, that'll be really good for them. But there's this period of time between here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's this period of time between graduation and really getting settled into a faith community in a new town. Yeah that has the same depth of relationship that your old faith community had. And in that period of time, we lose so many of them right? and they feel lost. I mean, yeah. they feel abandoned. So honestly, the hope of writing a book was to give them something to hang on to yeah. between here and there. Sometimes, yeah. and I don't, I don't want to make this statement as a bold declaration, but sometimes I feel like the four years you were working with a kid during the high school years really are setting you up so you can have credibility in their life the two years following high school when they make most of That's their decisions mm-hmm. and when their relational bucket becomes very, very, very critical yeah. because the decisions they're making are going to have more impact, uh, the relationships are going to choose to be in, all the, all the major pieces are getting ready to fall into place. Mm-hmm. And what would it be like if we just decided it really isn't about student ministry while they're with us in those four years. It's about student ministry to get us ready to be in their life for the two years after, mm-hmm. or the three years after, or the four years after, or whatever you want to want to qualify that as. I know that Kristen Ivey, when mm-hmm. she uh, did the same thing you did, Crystal, years ago, and she would rotate out of a group, she had to ask permission from her student pastor if she could actually stay with her college kids another year Mm -hmm. just to hand them off in a great Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. And it was so foreign to the student pastor because he'd never thought about that. I know one student pastor who came to church and um, he asked to see the list of the seniors who had graduated the last year because he Mm -hmm. just wanted to go back and check on them and see how they were doing and said, oh, we don't have that list. We threw that away. Mm -hmm. So there really is this mindset that we're done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. at 12th grade. And that's just not a healthy thing. Well, I think that idea of this youth pastor feeling like his time was done and, and throwing away that list of names is obviously something we want to avoid. And that was kind of one of the reasons I think, Crystal, why you felt so passionate about writing this book called Starting Now mm-hmm. for college freshmen who are leaving their high school ministry and trying to find like a firm footing in their faith and relationships and yep. all kinds of things. Tell us a little bit about your book and how this would have been a great tool for student pastors to pass off to their kids. So funny enough, it all started with a different book. It started Mm -hmm. with one of the most fun things that I got to do last year was read a book by Kara Powell and Mm -hmm. Steve Argue called 18 Plus. And it's for parents of kids who are graduating from high school. And what I learned from reading it is that a couple of things, one that one that when kids transition out of their parents' home, even if they're still living there, there's this mental transition yeah. out of the parents' home when they graduate high school and they experience it like trauma and mm, developmentally. Yeah. Anytime when we're in trauma, we, we revert backwards developmentally and mm. that's exactly what happens. That's why our college freshmen seem like they're younger than they seemed when they were in 12th grade. Mm-hmm. It's the same reason our sixth graders seem younger than they seemed when they were in fifth grade. Mm-hmm. We all tr- experience transition with yeah. some level of reverting back, some level of trauma. The other thing that they pointed out that I thought was so interesting was that something happens around the time we're 18 or 19 where we take our identity and put it in like this internal lockbox. Mm-hmm. 
and somehow our actions and our mind are not connected to who we are. So we end up doing actions that our identity would say we would never do. Right. And then, and when we feel conflicted about that. And so all of that kind of mixed together with my own experience, watching my small group kids go off to college, some kind of maintained a faith of their own, some didn't at all, led me to say, what are the big conversations we need to be having with college freshmen that help them reconnect the dots between who I am and what I believe and what I'm doing? Right. And how do do we help them process through a really difficult time when they might not still be connected to those that led them? And so we came up with six big conversations that we need to have with high school seniors who are transitioning into their freshman year of college. And the book walks them through it personally Mm -hmm. um, as a devotional. But if I'm honest with you, my hope is that they're walking through that book with an adult Mm -hmm. or with somebody older and wiser that can lead them through some of those conversations and process it together. Mm -hmm. And in fact, to make that happen... We created a website where students can can literally enlist, enlist the adults in their life to still speak into their life when they go to college. It's called onmyteam.org, mm-hmm. and we're asking every college freshman to develop a team of five adults who can encourage them, who can challenge them, who can walk through the book with them, who can have these big conversations with them so they're not left feeling like yeah. they've got to figure it out on their own even before they get involved in a faith community in college. I want to ask a complicated question about Shoot. the book. I know I know it's kind of targeted kids who go off to college, but does it work for kids who've just graduated or they're through with high school and they're stepping into what is next in their world? Um, because that, that seems to me to be a similar issue. And when you look at percentages, mm-hmm. there's as many kids who don't go to college who are trying to figure out what's next. Mm-hmm. So does that same issue apply in your mind? Well, actually, percentage-wise, I would push on that a little bit. We wrestled a lot with whether we talked to college students or just call them graduates, because that might include military kids, or it might include mm-hmm. kids who are going into the workforce. After doing a little research, we learned that around 67% of boys and 72% of girls go to some kind of training after high school. Now, that may be job training. It may be... And that's probably also very regional. Full-on university. It's right. very regional. Yeah. It's really different in rural communities. Right. Um, and we wrestled with what do we call it. And the reason we didn't call it a, a book for graduates is because there is this sense after high school of I don't want to be associated with anything high school-ish. That's for kids. I'm grown now. I don't wear my letterman jacket. I don't wear my class ring. I don't hold anything that I don't, you know, carry my tassel around. I don't do anything that's associated with high school because I'm grown now. So we shied away from the word graduate and leaned more into the word student. But the six conversations are, in my mind, just as important Mm-hmm. Whether you're going into the military for the first time, right. whether you're going into the workforce for the Good. first time, so there's the, still six things we've got to figure out. The book's called Start Now. Starting it's called now. Starting Now. Starting Now. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that says it all. I mean, you're starting life in a new way mm-hmm. right now. So, and, and I think the thing I like about the book, too, is it really circles back around the three core issues everybody has, which are purpose, identity, and belonging. And it tries to take a shot at what is that going to look like in this next phase. So all of a sudden... You don't become invisible. You don't sabotage your future because you end up uh, not knowing who you are anymore. Yeah. And that's easy to happen yeah. I mean, when you get into that phase. So that's yeah. good. I love this book. Yeah, it's a great one. So what else are you rethinking when it comes to youth ministry right now, Reggie? Well, I've written down several things. Um, one would be to rediscover the potential of middle school ministry to change the future. I think that um, there is a sense in which in a lot of churches... You know, we get the volunteer to do the middle school ministry. The paid staff does the high school ministry. Mm-hmm. If you're paid staff and you got into this because you love youth, you're kind of trying to figure out how to get with the older kids and let somebody else do with the younger. Mm-hmm. But when we really look at what happens in phases, mm-hmm. when we look at where all of a sudden life change kicks in at a warp speed and all of a sudden, you know, a person is faced with more decisions and more issues than at any other time in their life. It really happens in those middle school years. Mm-hmm. And so we, we just want to elevate middle school ministry to a place where we recognize the changes that are happening and the decisions that are made at this point. I, I read a statistic not too long ago that said one of the fastest growing groups of agnostics are in the middle school frame of mind. That's or age interesting. Group. And so when you look at social media and just the barrage of what's happening, um, we need to give new attention to yeah. these years. 
That is something, honestly, I've been rethinking, especially since working here, especially mm-hmm. since working really close to our middle yeah. school team and watching what they have to do. I think I, if I were really honest, I would say I always thought that middle school was just about dumbing down what you say to high school. Or it was an afterthought. It was about just, watering it yeah. down. It was an afterthought. And to really communicate with a middle schooler, now I'm understanding is, is more work requires more expertise, mm-hmm. sometimes requires more training mm-hmm. than to communicate with a high schooler. Because high schoolers, to some degree, can really begin to understand abstract thought in the way mm-hmm. that an adult can. That does not fly for a middle schooler. Yeah. It's easy for someone to get lost in the middle school years. Yeah. It's easy for them to drop drop out of the picture, and it's easy for the seeds to get planted in those years that just completely destroy their identity and sense of purpose. And the other thing that's interesting is, and I don't know that this is an accident or if it was something that really would, would actually prove its way out through other statistics, but when we interviewed leaders around the country and asked them to talk about the time of their life when a leader showed up that made the biggest difference in their life, 80 to 90% of the leaders told stories about leaders who showed up in their life during the middle school years. Really? Because it was such a complicated season of their life. They felt awkward. They felt lost. They were disappearing. They were invisible. And so I just don't think we recognize Mm -hmm. how powerful that moment Mm -hmm. of time is. Yeah. That's really good. I like that one. Reggie, what do you have next for us? Okay. Uh, Here's another one. Reevaluate how success is measured for 11th and 12th grade groups. Yes, please. You know, okay. because I, I, I think that about somewhere in ninth or 10th grade, we have defined success by how many teenagers show up at our program mm-hmm. on a Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. The problem is right around 10th or 11th grade, kids start getting licensed. They start getting jobs. Mm-hmm. They start being a lot more mobile. They come at that point if they want to come and they have other things that are competing. Right. Mm-hmm. And Here's an illustration that I, I love to talk about. It has to do with a small group leader who realized that part of her 11th grade girls did not, did not any longer want to come to the program on Sunday afternoon because some of them were working. They had other obligations, other things were happening. So they asked the small group leader, hey, since we've kind of been there and done that, could we just come to your house and hang out there or do something different yeah. as an 11th grader? Because we can find a better time that's more suited to work with our schedule. Yeah. So the small group leader went to her youth pastor who said to her, no, they can't do that. The only time they can come is during the time we huh. have programmed because he wanted to control it, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. He wanted to monitor, measure it, which makes yeah. sense. The problem is we've got to move our yardstick. Yeah. We've got to be willing to measure this in a different way. And if success could be defined or redefined, yeah. In a more organic way for those age uh, leaders and yeah. teenagers, it could, I think, open up some boxes because we should be able to keep them in relationships with us during those years. I, I think the tension that people are probably feeling though is how do you measure that? How do you measure success when it isn't in a numbers form? So I think that it really, it's, I think it's a healthy thing to do, but I think it requires a lot of work on a student pastors. Well, I think the sad part of this is I, I feel like. What he was trying to measure was a crowd attending a program on a Sunday yes, afternoon. You can still measure the kids who show up and connect with a leader and turn that over to the leaders to let, yeah. let the leaders monitor. I, I think there's a threatening thing that happens, but as kids move toward independence, they want to do something different. They, right. they want to have mm-hmm. a more intimate relationship. And what is the alternative? The alternative yeah. is no, so they don't come. Right. So now we've lost the connection. Right. I think that's why we're forced to redefine this. Yeah. That is the exact tension that I'm wrestling with yeah, right now. Yeah, as a small I mean, group leader yourself. Well, I'm leading a small group and I'm now rethinking everything because there's names attached and there are right. faces attached to all these things. And they're entering their 12th grade year. And last night I'm checking off boxes of attendance to our ministry. And I just wish that there was more than a checkbox because I wanted to say, yeah, 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 she's not here. But I know where she is. We had a conversation this week or yeah, 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 that one's not here because she's interning at a, at a kid's camp where she's going to grow in her faith all summer long. You know, right, like I right. wish. So all of a sudden he's deciding we're not successful because these kids aren't there, but you're knowing because you spent time with her doing coffee mm-hmm. or, you know, she's at camp, you're still being successful. We're not using the right yardstick. Well, and you can even make the opposite argument that you're just because someone is showing up, it means you are successful. <laughs> and that's not necessarily that's not well, that true. That doesn't mean you're successful if they're in the room. No. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and we we're learning right now with this group of girls. Yeah. If we're going to church just a regular night at church, they can predict what the sermon's about. Yeah. There's there is no game fun enough to impress them now. There's well, no worship song. Right. 
like well produced enough to impress them. But if we're going off site, it doesn't matter if it's McDonald's, if it's my house, if it's mm-hmm. if even if we're going to big church, if it's just a little bit different, suddenly our numbers double. Interesting. It is okay. it is the change that we need at times in our life when we've been going through a routine. Mm-hmm. And I think every ministry needs to think about where those pockets are in their ministry. But I guarantee you, as they transition from tenth to eleventh grade and eleventh to twelfth grade, yeah. I mean we've got to become more more organic and give those kind of yeah. opportunities for kids to be relational. That's good. And, it's a routine. Uh, or, or we're going to lose right. them. We're yeah. going to lose them. That's good. Um, here's another one. If you want another one, this is a fun one to talk about. Reengage parents of teens weekly, monthly, and yearly. That's good. We get um, questions about this all mm-hmm. the time. I bet you do because there's a tendency for yeah. student pastors and those who work with teenagers and even parents of teenagers to think, you know, I'm done. I mean, yeah. I, I've done as much as I can. I can't do any more. There's a lot of um, resistance, I think, Probably in the student space more than in the children's mm-hmm. space, because in children's space, parents in, in the children's world or preschool world are more, much more highly motivated. By the time, well, and they're still in control. They are for the most part. <laughs> yeah, and as kids move into the high school yeah. realm, I mean, parents are tired. Yes. I mean, they're mm-hmm. just you know they drink a lot, and so at this point, <laughs> at, at this point, you've got to lean in and say to parents, no, 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 no. They need you more now than yeah. they needed you then. They just need you in a different way. Yeah. They don't need less of you. They need more of you, but they need you to redefine your relationship with them. They're moving toward independence. So if you don't start redefining your relationship with them and you don't change the way you parent them during these years in an intentional way, you know, there will be a disconnect that's not healthy. But as a church, I think we've got to change how we engage with those parents because if Absolutely. I'm honest, when they're in preschool, we got to engage with them because they show up to pick the kid up and we right. have to tell them whether or right. not they have goldfish crackers. As a youth pastor, sometimes I only call them when there's a problem. Right. Yep. And they start to expect, oh, if, I, if that person from the church calls, it's a problem. In reality, this group of girls I have now, I want to run around and high five their parents and tell them you're doing yeah. great. You there's know? so many proactive things that we can do during this season of life when kids are teenagers that we just don't think about. And we've had thousands of years of history to know what happens in the teenage years. Yeah. We've got plenty of patterns that we can say mm-hmm. to parents, hey, just know ninth grade is coming. This is what's, what's going to happen. Ninth grade is coming. This is what is going to happen. And you can be a great parent of a ninth grader if you get ready for that, or a 10th grader, or an 11th grader, or a 12th grader. Part of it is making sure we're cueing them yeah. as leaders so they can understand how to, to take easy steps and to be aware of what is going on. And again, mm-hmm. we'll unpack this principle more, but I just feel like yeah. it's something we mm-hmm. just don't need to just decide we can't get parents of teenagers engaged because we can. Well, I think what you said about cueing parents is huge because I think as a parent myself, I feel this, that we tend to be very reactive and we're only engaging once we know the specific problem that we Mm -hmm. want to fix. But if we can get to parents on the front end before something's falling apart and let them know what to expect or how to prepare, how to plan. And I'm going to add one more thing to that now that I think about it. And part of it is the fact that we assume parents are too busy and too tired, but they are still doing a lot of stuff for their kids. Mm -hmm. They're not doing the things that we want them to do for their kids because they don't feel like the things we want them to do matter. And Mm -hmm. if we don't understand how to let them know or help them know what really matters in the life of their kids, we're not going to engage them. And the other piece of this is there are three or four buckets of parents. There are the parents who are already engaged. They're in your church. Mm-hmm. They're the parents who are disengaged, who are either in your church, they're not participating, or they're outside your church. You don't get parents who are disengaged to engage by seeing them an announcement or, right. or, or sending them some kind of email or text. If every leader would decide, here are three disengaged parents, I could help them engage a little bit more if I would meet with them and understand mm-hmm. what their world is like and what's going on in their world. It would build a different kind of bridge back into helping them re-engage. And I think it also would help to maybe change the metric a little bit, that what does engagement look like for every parent? Mm -hmm. So there are parents who, you know, they don't go to church at all. So what's one step forward to engagement? Mm -hmm. We have an entire thing we could do on this that's related to what is is the win? What do we want them to do? What are the three or four things, if they do these three or four things consistently, mm. will make the difference? I mean, it's Yeah, but it's a win will look different for every family. And, it and will I, look different for every family in practical, but it yeah. will look the same for every parent in the principal. Yeah. I mean, there's a principal and a practical side of it. But the principal is the same, but I never want the disengaged family to feel like they're being compared to the hyper-involved sure. family. For sure. You know? Well, yeah. it's it's there's so many layers to that. I mean, it's back to the story in Wrightsville when... 
You've got parents who can't make the step into the school for the meeting because when they were in the school, the school failed them, mm. and they'll never oh, go back to that gosh. school. And now their kids are failing in the same system that either they failed in or failed them, and they're disengaged. And there's no one going to them, hey, on neutral space, neutral ground, here's something you can do to make sure you fight yeah. for your relationship with your son or daughter. But I think you bring mm-hmm. up an interesting point that there's always more layers to the disengaged families or even the engaged families that it's not, it's not just like this family's not involved kind of writing them off. We don't even know really why happening. they're disengaged. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, we think we know why they're disengaged yeah. because we're smart youth pastors and smart mm-hmm. student pastors and smart leaders. Yeah. Well, let me ask this because I think you're right. I, at least this is my experience. I assume that I know what families are going through. And every time I find out, I'm surprised. What would you say to the youth pastor, to the guy or girl out there going, I'm a little overwhelmed mm-hmm. sure. just serving the kids. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what do I, how do I take care of these families? First of all, I would say there's no way you can serve the kids effectively if you don't understand and try to influence the parent. That's good. You'll never leverage the influence you should leverage. Uh, second thing is don't assume you should know. Don't assume you should be the expert. Don't assume that you should be the one who can fix this. If you're smart, especially if you're a younger student pastor, you're going to go find five or six parents who actually are seasoned and get this. Maybe they're a little further down the road, and they can create a focus group for you, and they can help lead the way for the ministry you want to do to the parents to engage the parents. Let them do that work and that lifting for you while you focus on the students. But do it in concert with them Mm -hmm. so that they're a part of what you're doing. They'll actually give credibility to your ministry because you've got some great parents leading with you. Mm Wow, I wish I had done that. (laughs) (laughs) That when you're left. When I was about 22 years old serving in a church and people would ask me parenting questions and I answered like I knew. Oh, sure. We all do. (laughs) I think that, but I was going to say, I think that's interesting what you said that you don't have the posture trying to fix because there Mm -hmm. are a lot of young youth pastors and they don't Mm -hmm. know and they know they don't know, but they feel like they should. Yeah, let's just say it this way, Sarah. If if a 22-year-old came up to you and tried to tell you how to parent your kids and talk to you a little bit like... Like they understood yeah. something you don't understand about raising your children. I mean, how are you going to receive that? I can't say on the podcast. Okay, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the point, right? Right, I right. Mean, yeah, no we one forget to that. Hold. Nobody yeah. tells us when we're 22 or 23 yeah. year old, we don't know what right. we don't mm-hmm. know, but we don't know it. But if you possibly. go in with the goal of engagement with the parents, yes. that's different. That we're on the same team, we have the same end in mind, and for we your will child. help you find the answers that you need to find. Yes. We may mm-hmm. not have them, but we'll connect you to people or to resources that can help yes. you with that. Yes, that's good. I like that a lot. What else, Reggie? Well, here's another idea, and I, and I think we've talked about this for a while. I think we've talked about this for several years. I don't know that we're shifting as fast as I think we should, but mm-hmm. I do believe in the next 10 years, this will be absolutely critical. Okay. And it's reestablishing service as a priority for discipleship. That's good. I mean, there's something broken in a lot of our systems because we can't get out of a classroom mindset or Mm -hmm. a spectator mindset or a, we have a room, we've got a band, we're going to speak, come sit with us Mm -hmm. mindset. Somewhere I would love for us to start wrestling with the formula and go maybe once a month, maybe, you know, we don't even do our program that we would typically do as often as we do it so we can push kids into the community to serve. Mm -hmm. Because I don't believe teenagers will ever see themselves the way God sees them Mm -hmm. or the way they need to see themselves if they're not doing something significant with this thing that God's created them to do. Mm -hmm. And this, this has to do with service. So when you say service, I think I know what you mean. But can you talk a little bit about, are you talking about serving weekly in their church, serving yes. in a homeless shelter, yes. serving in a mission trip, yes. the, all, all of it? it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. In other words, here's what we know, and we've always known this, that something happens as a catalyst in your discipleship and your spiritual growth when you contribute, invest, put your life into someone else's mm-hmm. life. You start connecting with people and caring about people. That beyond that, it is just a spectator sport. It's not something that will ultimately change you. And I just think, you know, all the all of the research proves this. I mean, mm-hmm. Diana Garland at Baylor, before she passed away, she had enormous amounts of content mm-hmm. on this. Fuller's talked about this. I, I just think that everyone will say the same thing, that service is as much a part of discipleship. Actually, they will say service 
has more to do with discipleship than Bible study, prayer, or worship, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. especially for the high school student, mm-hmm. because they're, they're wired for adventure. They're mm-hmm. wired for experience. Mm-hmm. And when you read books that talk about why they're walking away, the books that talk about why they're walking away, they, they, the students say, because you've insulated me, because you've isolated me, because you're afraid mm-hmm. that I can't do what I can mm-hmm. do. I mean, I have girls who have told me in their college years, oh, yeah, I dropped out of church when I was 14. Why did you drop out of church? Because I was too poor, too female, and too young to lead. And so somewhere wow. in the mm-hmm. context of this, we've got to lean in and go, no, 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 no. You are the church. Let's mm-hmm. let you experience what God wants to do through you. Mm-hmm. And Fuller found the opposite of that was true too, right? That the kids who are given real leadership as high school students are the ones who are mo- more likely to stick around mm-hmm. in their college years and in their adult years. They What's, call it keychain leadership, yeah. like mm-hmm. trusted with the keys of the church. Well, it's that. a dynamic faith. It's, it's the idea of... If my faith isn't doing something, it's dead. Mm-hmm. If all I'm doing is learning but not doing, you know, and it's this whole idea. And we, we get so worked up about this, but it's this whole idea of, of I am designed to do good things. I am designed to care about other people. I'm designed to invest and love other people. And if, if it's if, anyway, we, we've said this for years. Mm-hmm. I just think it's time for the church programmatically to be intentional about mm-hmm. how they move around the furniture so this is actually a part of their culture. Right. Weekly, monthly, mm-hmm. annually. Yeah. So what? where do you think that came from? Why do you think it moved from... Because I, I feel like we get that question a lot. Like yep. we, people want to... They want students to graduate from their ministry with high biblical literacy. Mm-hmm. Like that's what people seem mm-hmm. to care about a lot. That seems to be the measuring stick for discipleship is As opposed how to, many so books where, the Bible can Yeah. Use. So how do we begin yeah, to even change knew, the conversation? Yeah, I actually knew a student pastor who would give his students a biblical literacy test. That's not true. Yeah, he really test. would. He would ask them, he'd ask them questions <laughs> no. about books of the Bible. He'd ask them questions about doctrinal statements. He'd ask them questions about, you know, all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But in reality, here's what I believe. Some of his students could have passed that with flying colors and mm-hmm. still not had a love and a passion right. for, for God and mm-hmm. pursuing what it meant to, to follow him. Right. While others would not have answered a lot of those questions, but could have right. you know, mm-hmm. a passionate faith and they're pursuing God with everything they have. Yeah. So I, I just think that it, there's always a danger in knowledge being a substitute mm-hmm. you know, for what we're called to be and do. Or a measuring mm-hmm. stick. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, we should teach truth. We should make sure they get doctrine. But if all it is, is is head knowledge and mental, and it's something they're learning, and it's not something they're doing, there is no growth. Right. You are not growing if you're not doing. And you could make the argument that the doctrine would stick better if they saw it played out, not Absolutely. lived out, and not just something that they learned. I mean, here's a... Well, the that's bo- basic pedagogy, right? Yeah. That yeah. things stick when you live them out, right. and when you do something active well, with Jesus, them, and don't just memorize. Well, James actually said this, but James said... Don't be hearers, be doers. Right. Mm-hmm. And but but here's the simple part of this. If I were to ask either one of you or any smart leader that's working with students and kids, if I were to ask you this question, I'm gonna give you, I don't know, 10 ninth graders. You got four years. You can do anything with them you want to want to do with them. So they walk away with a dynamic faith. None, none of the friends I know are gonna say, I'm gonna put them in a room, I'm gonna, in a class, I'm gonna teach them truth. They're going to do what one guy said to me a few years ago. We're going to do ministry with them while we teach them. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about it is when he said that, I said, well, isn't that what Jesus did with the 12? This isn't new. This, yeah. this, mm-hmm. is, this yeah. is old. This yeah. is, that's what discipleship is. It's mm-hmm. doing ministry with people while you teach them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I'll throw one more thing in here real quick. I remember the movie where Kevin Costner is in The Guardian, and he is an aged, kind of like me, leader, where he's no longer can actually do the on-the-ground on the rescues yeah. or in-the-water rescues, and they put him in the college to train the people that are going to be rescuing, and he goes into this traditional school, and he's trying to get the recruits to understand what they're supposed to do, and he says in this fury of frustration with the professors, he said there's a gap between what you're teaching them and what they will actually have to do on the field. And I think my job here is to bridge this gap. Mm-hmm. And um, mm. one day they show up in the morning to teach these students about hypothermia. And they find out that they're all gone, that he's already taken them. He put them in a warehouse 
in a swimming pool full of ice. <laughs> and when the professors walk in, there's this interesting scene. This line of professors walk in, and they're livid because he stole their students. And mm-hmm. he has them in the swimming pool full of ice learning about hypothermia. And um, the professor says, what are you doing? We were supposed to teach them about that today. <laughs> to which he says, oh, in about five minutes, they'll understand. Yeah. I mean, the difference is we yeah. don't give them real experiences, which, are, by the way, is the reason you call XP3 XP3. Right. Mm-hmm. When we first started XP3, the whole concept was this can't just be about content. It has to be experience. If it's not about experience, yep. they'll never learn it. Yeah. That's so funny. I can't help but think about my college Spanish class. I was a Spanish major taking an advanced conversation class, at which we had a textbook for, which I thought was hilarious because it was advanced <laughs> conversation. We had a textbook. And one day I showed up to class and the professor said, get on the bus. I was like, where are, we, where are we going? You know it. <laughs> and we went to a high ropes course uh-huh. where the instructors and those who were tying the ropes where we were about to jump out of trees only spoke Spanish. <laughs> there and you she go. said, That's amazing. you will speak correctly or you will die. Yeah. That is correct. And I will never forget how carefully I spoke and how much I studied in the five minutes before climbing that tree. But I knew those words when I came down out of the trees. I think it also, it it seems to draw a connection too to the importance of having a leader alongside you while you're having these sort of experiences Mm -hmm. because they are stretching you. And then you have an adult who's invested in this student that's able to unpack these lessons with them. The reason for a small group leader is not to sit in a circle and simply echo what the present right. ta- presenter has, has said. The reason for a small group leader is to do life yeah. yep. with the kid, to translate and to interpret this in that kid's real world. Right. Well, I think that's key. Mm-hmm. It's the translating and yeah. interpreting. It's that you're not in this alone. Let me help you. Mm-hmm. 100%. And what gets said from the stage sounds great. Yeah. But it's going to be tricky when it shows up in yeah. your own life. 100%. Let's talk about that. Yeah. That's really good. So here's another one, yeah. another idea that we might want to throw out and just talk about. It's recycle content around what really matters most. I know that we mm-hmm. in our organization spend a lot of time and energy going, there's a lot of content we could teach. There's a lot of verses in the Bible. There's a lot of truth, mm-hmm. but all truth is not created equal. Okay. Unpack that a little bit. Well, I'll, I'll that unpack sounds it a little, a little bit. scandalous. <laughs> Well, I'm not nearly as, as scandalous as um, you are, Sarah, on some, some of the blogs you write. So I'm, I'm just, just going to be pretty. pretty. But, but, the point, but the point I want to make here is this, that, you know, somewhere along the way, we've taken all of the verses in the Bible, all the 600 commands mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, we've thrown them all on the table and said, okay, figure them out. They're all equally important. Yeah. We know that's not true. We know that's not true for a couple of reasons. For for example, you know, Jesus showed up, stepped on the planet, and he said, okay, here's the deal. Let me tell you what the greatest commandment is. Mm-hmm. He prioritized. Mm-hmm. He said, here's the one that's the most important, and if you miss this, the rest doesn't even matter. Mm-hmm. And he kind of rearranged. As a matter of fact, he even said on the basis of the great command, and it was kind of two parts, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor, on the, on the basis of this command, you can hang everything else. Mm-hmm. So it all comes back to this. Mm-hmm. I mean, you pick up the Old Testament, the Bible says God sits on the sphere of the earth. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true, maybe. I don't know what it means, <laughs> but it says that, I think, in Ezekiel somewhere. That would have been great information for Columbus. It would have saved him a trip. The world was around. <laughs> but the Bible also says... Something else about the world in John, that God loved the world so much Mm -hmm. he gave his son. If you believe in him, you'll live forever, and it points to Jesus. So again, both are true, Mm -hmm. but you got 52 weeks in a year. Actually, you got Mm -hmm. about 40 weeks in a year. Actually, you got about 20 weeks in a year. When you take out the kids Mm -hmm. who aren't going to show up, you got about 20. So what are the truths you're going to hand them? If you don't Mm -hmm. pre-decide what are the most Mm -hmm. important pieces, the big rocks, they're going to miss the most important things. You know what? You're, you're so right. And it makes me laugh because I'm thinking about when we did this a couple of years ago. I, Reggie, I don't even know if you know that we did this, but our whole team, the middle school team and the high school team got together in a room. We read the whole Bible together over several sittings. It took a really long time. I'm glad I didn't know. I got nervous. <laughs> <laughs> we pulled out every passage that we thought we for sure had to make sure a teenager knows before they graduate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bet you left out the part about when a teenager rebels against his parents. Like they just <laughs> oh, no. stone him to death. You left <laughs> oh, that one out. Oh, no. We, we put it in there. Yeah, okay, that, that was that was we put it in there, yeah, just, just for fun. Yeah. We put it in there. We ended up with hundreds of cards. Sure. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And then we looked, how many weeks do we have with them? Yeah. 
about 150. And so what are the 150 out of these hundreds and hundreds? And then out of that, kids are only going to show up half the time. Then they're only going to remember things about half of the times that they're there. What are the things we're going to repeat over and over Mm -hmm. that they can't miss? It was really hard to take that list from hundreds down to just a few. I just did an analytical thing with our group in Wrightsville. I work with students there in Wrightsville volunteering every week. I literally looked and reviewed the last year and um, at where the dips were in attendance in the program that we mm-hmm. did and where the attendance was, was boosted up. And there's about five weeks in the fall, it's pretty strong. Then there's a couple of weeks they missed. Then there's another four or five weeks, it's pretty strong. And then there's some weeks it dips in the, in the holiday season. And then in January, it picks back up mm-hmm. for about, I think, mm-hmm. six weeks. And then mm-hmm. there's another break and things that happen. And then we have another about six weeks or so. And then summer kicks in. Yep. There's about four or five segments. And we look at those four or five segments and how many weeks you have where most of the kids will show up. You realize how few times you mm-hmm. really have with kids to invest in them. Mm-hmm. And if we think somehow we can just randomly use those slots that we have and just teach anything and everything and not be strategic, then I don't think we're being a good steward of truth. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. That, well, that's a good point. That just, not, it's not helpful, but we're not being good stewards of what we've got. You, you should count the words Jesus said in the New Testament. There's not that many. Yeah. When you look oh, at that's... just what Jesus taught, mm-hmm. there's not a lot. Yeah. And um, the interesting thing is somewhere in the context of our ministry, we let so many other ideas come in. And that's not to even say something else that's going to sound really radical. Okay. All of the Bible is true, but all truth that kids need to know is not in the Bible. Mm-hmm. There's some things we need to unpack for kids that aren't even in the Bible because we care about them, because we love them. We need to help them understand. Oh, right. I promise you that's true. Is this and so, and so we, may, we may have a principle in the Bible right. that talks about your body, and mm-hmm. but there's so many other pieces that we need to help kids understand about their bodies just because we're going to be good stewards of a life right. before they mm-hmm. walk away. So you put truth they need to know, spiritual truth they need to know, mm-hmm. all in a bucket, and it's important that we are really wise in how we use the time we have with them. It seems like it's a more holistic approach Very much to, so. to ministry and to students and that all truth is God's truth, whether it's found in yeah, the Bible or not. Absolutely. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And I think we also found in the, on the writing side of things, at least for high schoolers, mm-hmm. that even when we were recycling content, we were thinking if someone heard this as a ninth grader and then they heard it again as a 12th grader, they have different. a completely different application of it because they've changed so much and developed so much in those three years difference. So the, the same truth repeated... Well, sticks differently. That goes all the way back down into preschool and right. elementary mm-hmm. and the tweens and the, and the middle schoolers, because our goal should be to go, here are the big rocks. Mm-hmm. We're going to revisit them every few years. So at the end of the day, again, mm-hmm. love God, love your neighbor, love yourself or love life. If we could help them move into life, moving in a positive direction mm-hmm. in those areas, we win. Yeah. I mean, that's why I love watching my middle schoolers and high schoolers serve in the preschool ministry. Yeah. Because you can be told Jesus wants to be my friend in preschool, and it means one thing. You can be told Jesus wants to be my friend in high school, and you hear it completely yeah. different. Jesus still wants to be my friend. <laughs> Sometimes I'm right. like, their discipleship is way better because they're serving in preschool yeah. than yeah. because they're in my small group. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. One more. There's one more okay. that I would say, and again, you can add to the list. You can build the list. I'm sure everybody's got their own list of things that they would like to do different in the next 10 years. These just seem to be the ones that jump to the surface because I, I, I think we need to talk about them more. And mm-hmm. this one is an interesting one to me because I have been living in this space for the last 10 years, and I've watched what's happened in our country, and I've watched what I feel like is happening in our neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say rebuild a leadership base that reflects diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, when it comes to kids and teenagers and our neighborhoods, that it's important for two or three things to happen. And by diversity, I mean that, that girls see girls, that black and Hispanic kids see kids like them, that white kids see kids like them. And we could talk about you know, all the different kinds of diversity that needs to show up. We could even bring into here intergenerational if we mm-hmm. wanted to. I just think God gets bigger when kids see God through other filters and through the eyes of other people. Mm-hmm. And for white children to only see white people talk about God puts God in a very narrow box. Mm-hmm. And T.D. Jakes told me seven years ago, he said, if I don't see me, it's not for me. Mm-hmm. So that means if there's a girl sitting in your student ministry 
who never sees a girl get on the platform and lead or teach or worship, they don't think they can Mm -hmm. or they don't see themselves doing it. Mm -hmm. Or if there's a black or Hispanic or Asian kid in the room who never see that, Mm -hmm. then they're not sure they can. Mm -hmm. But when they do see that, it invites them to be something God created them to be. The other part of this is, and, and I'll come back to something else in a minute, if, and this is what I've added to T.D. Jake's statement, I've added to a statement, if I don't see someone different than me, then God is not big enough. Mm-hmm. I need to see me, and I need to see somebody different than me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because that broads my base. And one of the things we, I think we strategically decided to do a few years ago when we were wrestling with, do we make our curriculum you know, work for specific ethnic groups by by shifting it around and giving different versions of our curriculum to different groups, or do we just integrate it all? Mm-hmm. And we decided if we just integrate it all, then what we are doing is we're letting different kids from different ethnic backgrounds see different people and themselves. And we think that's a much more powerful way to present a God who's a really big God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can remember you know, the first time I saw a woman participating in a, a church service. And I was, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, honestly. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that, I just remember that feeling that it wasn't that I never saw myself and I thought consciously about it, but to see someone who looked like me and and to think how much it enlarged my view of what the church could be. I didn't know Mm -hmm. that it was small until I saw someone look like me doing that. And I just think that there's so many kids who are living with a smaller view of God, a smaller understanding of the church and don't see it as small. They just think that's the way it is Mm -hmm. until we introduce something different. One of the things that I thought was so interesting, my my husband is Chinese, and after we got married, I noticed every TV program, every commercial, everything that came mm. on, if there was an Asian person in it, he would go, hey, look, it's an Asian person. Mm. And it has never crossed my mind to say, hey, look, it's a white person. Right. Because I see white people all the time, but especially if there's a person who is Asian as a leading character or right. as a villain, because you don't see that a lot, or as... Yeah, so, something yep. different than expected. He notices, and he's grown. Yeah, and I just can't help but imagine what that's like for the Asian kid in our youth ministries who sees an mm-hmm. Asian person on oh, the yeah. platform. Yeah. yeah, especially just the just the empowerment it gives them yeah. mm-hmm. to know, oh, I can do that. I can be that. Mm-hmm. And and I'll, and I'll say one more thing because if you're here and you're listening to this and you're a student pastor, I, I would like to lean in for just a second and personally challenge you to do something specific about an issue. Because, you know, in the world we live in, we're looking for people who can communicate, who can speak, who can teach, who can lead. And to be really honest, you know, men, white men have been given an advantage because they, during the youth ministry years, are put on the stage to be able to communicate and they get to practice. Mm -hmm. And I would like to ask you this question. How many girls in your student ministry are you letting practice as communicators on your stage so that by the time they get into their 20s and their 30s, they are seasoned communicators? Yeah. The only way for us to change this is for student pastors to go, you know what, I'm going to make sure that people of diversity get opportunities on our stage to be nurtured, mm-hmm. to be developed as mm-hmm. communicators so we can wake up 10 years down the road. And we can see a different mm-hmm. kind of culture of leaders on the platforms and on our stages. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I think, yeah, I think that's a good point that it's a long-term process. Oh. That it's going to mm-hmm. take time and that it's going to require us to put in work now that we aren't necessarily going to see the fruit of for a while. But we have, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to mm-hmm. take practice that this, isn't, this doesn't happen by accident. We've got to be intentional. Well, it requires us to put some people on the stage that we would say aren't quite ready. Yeah. And that's that's hard, yeah. I'm going to say something, and it's going to sound bold, and I don't mean it to offend anyone who's listening, but it's easier not to do this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you don't do this, I'm just going to say, you know, there's a little bit of laziness because it's it's just easier not to do this. Yeah. It's so much easier not to, but it's just not worth it if you want to build a ministry that's going to reflect the community and where culture is going and what is going to be happening in the next 10 years because the neighborhoods are changing and we have to build a bridge to a lot of different kinds of people. Yeah. Can I piggyback on that? Because I am from a community where everybody looks the same mm-hmm. and it's so easy to say, well, yeah, but nobody in that community, there's no, there's nobody to call to come speak. 
The reality is there is somebody within driving distance of your community, and it might be more important if you're in a community where everybody looks the same to bring Mm -hmm. in somebody to communicate on your stage who doesn't look like everybody in your community so that kids can have a bigger picture of God. Yeah, yeah. In Wrightsville, Georgia, and I'm sure like any town or any church anywhere who's done things the way they've done things for a long time, you're just not aware that by doing the thing you've always done the way you do it, there's a person sitting in the room who sees the world in a different way and they can't connect or identify with what you're doing. And that the power that happens when all of a sudden you do something that resonates with their culture, with their history, with their context, with their ethnicity. I know that we intentionally do this camp every year and we bring in every different kind of person we can to lead. And we Mm -hmm. pull people out of all pockets of the town to lead. And uh, the first year we did it, we had a friend of mine who was sitting in the little restaurant there with us who'd come to sing. And she's from a mixed family. Her, her dad's black, her mom's white. And as we're sitting in this restaurant, we're inviting kids who show up in the restaurant to come to our Camp Joko. And I see a kid on the other side of the room stand up, and she walks over to Haley. And she says to Haley, are you mixed? And Haley says surprised. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I am. She says, I am too. And I thought you were. And I'm so glad to meet somebody else who is. Wow. Oh. And there's just something about seeing a leader who is like me Mm -hmm. that says to me, you know what? I can do amazing things in my life Mm -hmm. if I don't look like everybody else in the room. And I think somewhere in the context of ministry, we have to put a high, high value on that. Well, the world just got bigger for them. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. God got bigger. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it seems like that thinking this way is learning to be very future focused and it becomes less about preserving the church as it's been and more about reimagining the future of what the church could be in its best potential. Reggie, you mentioned that that last one especially takes a lot of work and that it's easier to not do that. But I think that's kind of been the pattern for every single one that you you said, that all of it's these are true. going to require a little bit more work, a little bit rethink of rethinking for everybody. And it's easier to keep yep. doing things the way they've always been done, but we'll just keep getting what we've always gotten if that's the case. And we yep. want to imagine something bigger. Yeah. These are the all paradigm shifts. I think these are yeah. all shifts that need to happen I think more uh, stated in the next 10 years than they were mm-hmm. in the last 10 years. I think we need to be a lot more deliberate, a lot more intentional about these issues. That's good. Thanks for listening to the Think Orange podcast and for tuning in to this special episode from Rethinking Youth Ministry. If you'd like to hear the rest of this episode, search Rethinking Youth Ministry wherever you listen to podcasts and you'll find the entire episode there. And if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to check out more resources from Orange students, including our weekly youth ministry curriculum, XP3. And help us welcome back Rethinking Youth Ministry by posting your favorite episode and tagging at Orange Leaders and at Orange Students in the post. That's it for the Think Orange podcast. Until next time, keep investing in the faith and the future of the next generation. Mm